Good morning. I hope you're having a fantastic Sunday morning. Welcome to Faith on Hills online Sunday service. We gather every Sunday morning online and in person to hear from the word of God, to pray together, and to be connected as the people of God in his church. As far as things going on around the church, uh, we are still taking food donations for the Wichita Family Center. And if you uh, aren't coming regularly on Sunday mornings, but you'd still like to bring some by, you can email me, adam at faithonhill.com, and we can arrange for a time for you to make a drop-off donation. Also, in a couple weeks, well, a couple more than that, but in a few weeks, we are going to have a baptism, and we're not announcing the date just yet, but next Sunday, I will announce a date where we are going to have a baptism available. If you have not been baptized for your faith as a public profession, we would invite you to take this opportunity. If you haven't been part of our church directly, if you've been watching and you'd like to be baptized, we don't have rules about who can be baptized. You don't have to be a member or anything like that. But we do value relationship. And so we would love to get to know you and hear your story. So if you would like to be baptized, you can email me, adam at faithonhill.com, and we can uh, move forward with that. We'll have the announcement on the date next Sunday. Finally, why do we have an online service in addition to our in-person service? Because we meet every Sunday. Right now in the summer, we're meeting outside in the field. It's really chill. You bring a lawn chair, a beach blanket. We have pop-up tents for shade. It's fun time. We believe a couple things. One is, well, we know people get sick. I mean, you might hear it in my voice. I've been dealing with a head cold. It's the first time I've had one in over a year and a half. Uh, so you can stay home and watch the same message online and still not lose where we're at. People travel. And we get people that are on vacation. Uh, somebody sent me a picture of them taking communion last week uh, from the, the cabin they were renting up in the, the hills. And it was great to see people staying connected. And we know that there are people who are watching uh, who haven't been connected with our church. And so we would love to get to know you and uh, invite you to be part of what God is doing at Faith on Hill. If you have a Bible, open to the book of 1 John. We've got two more messages in the book of 1 John before we move on to, surprise, surprise, the book of 2 John. After our time in God's word, we are going to spend some time praying together and we'd love to have you stay for that and respond to what God speaks to us. Let's study God's word and hear from his voice together. Hey, well, good morning again. If your Bible is open to the book of 1 John, we are in chapter 5 this morning. We want to talk about three different kinds of testimonies. Now, what is a testimony? Well, if you go to court, if you are called to be a witness in a court case, you give testimony. Testimony is just telling what you know to be true. So when we testify, we share what we know. When we are testified to knowledge, truth is imparted to us. I believe that there are three testimonies. There's three ways that God testifies to people. There's three ways that Christians testify to the world around us. And there's three ways that Christians receive testimony from God. So let's look at verse 6, chapter 5, as we continue our study of 1 John. John writes, This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. 
He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. Now, we talked about this last week, how this speaks about being born of water is literally your physical birth. When the mother's water breaks, then the baby comes. And so John is speaking about physical birth. And then the blood speaking about Jesus' death and resurrection and how we are born anew. We are born a second time through Jesus Christ. So Jesus came and he was born. He physically lived and he died and he rose again. His blood shed for the redemption of the world. As it is the Spirit who testifies because the Spirit is truth. Verse 7, for there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. The three are in agreement. We accept human testimony, but God's testimony is greater because it is the testimony of God, which he has given about his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God accepts this testimony. Whoever does not believe in God has made him out to be a liar because they have not believed the testimony Excuse me, they have not believed the testimony God has given about his son. Verse 11, this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life. This is the life in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son does not have life. This is God's word. Like I said, there are three testimonies. The three ways that God testifies to people. John says that God testifies through, to people through the water, through the blood, and through the spirit, and that all three of these testimonies agree. The water, speaking of the incarnation of Jesus, that Jesus was a real person. John started this book back in 1 John chapter 1, and he said, what? Well, let's turn back there. 1 John chapter 1, verse 1 says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our own eyes, which we have looked at, which our hands have touched, that we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, and we have seen it, and we testify to it, and we proclaim to you eternal life, which was from the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you that we have heard and seen, and also may have fellowship with us, that our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So what John is saying is, God became a man. God became a literal human being. And John says, I saw him and I didn't just see him. I heard his words and his voice and his message. And I didn't just see him and I didn't just hear him because, you know, I've seen and heard many people. You know, uh, I, I remember one day I was in the city of London, England, and I was walking through London kind of near uh, where Parliament is. And there was a large crowd gathered, and I had some time to kill, so I was curious, and I said, okay, what's going on over there? So I walked over, and I noticed that it was Tony Blair, who was then the Prime Minister of England, and he was having a speech, and so a lot of people were gathered around. So I have seen Tony Blair. I have heard Tony Blair. I know he's a real person, but I've never touched him. I've never shook his hand. I've never had a conversation with him. John says, we didn't just see him from afar. We didn't just hear him speak, but we, we touched him. We, 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 I hugged him. I, I helped him. You know, he, 
I, maybe I tripped and he reached down and he picked me up or maybe we were loading something and we both did this work together. John says we were there and we testify. We testify that Jesus is a real person. And then the blood speaks of the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, 6, and I'm not going to turn there, but you can go and look that up in your own time. 1 Corinthians 15, 6, the Apostle Paul says that Jesus was seen risen from the dead by over 500 eyewitnesses, by over 500 eyewitnesses. What that means is this, that over 500 people who knew Jesus, who like John had seen him and heard him and maybe even touched him or had a, con a physical conversation with him. They saw someone, they saw someone who they knew to have been crucified and they saw him later walking around fully alive. This is the central question of the Christian faith. What do you do with this reality that hundreds and hundreds of people saw somebody that they knew to have been executed walking around alive. There's no question that Jesus died. I say that knowing that there are people who question this. There are people who question whether Jesus was a real historical figure. It's one of those things that is so ridiculous that the only reason you would believe that Jesus wasn't a real person, the testimony of the water, is because you choose not to believe. That's like questioning, was Alexander the Great a real person? Was uh, Nero a real person? Was Cleopatra a real person? We know be because of not just biblical accounts, but non-biblical historical accounts that Jesus Christ lived. And there's not a question that he was put to death. Not even his enemies questioned that. When Jesus rose from the dead, what did the Pharisees do? They started a rumor that said that his disciples had stolen his body from the tomb. There was no question that he had died because he had died publicly. He was executed where everyone could see it. His enemies were there to witness it. So God testifies to people and he says, here is Jesus, God the Son, God in human flesh. And here is his death and resurrection. And all of these testify. They testify to the reality of God coming after people to rescue us. But there's a third testimony. This third testimony is the testimony of God the Holy Spirit. And for John, the apostle who wrote this book, he was there on the day of Pentecost. You can read in Acts chapter 2 how the believers, the 12 disciples, the faithful women, Mary, Jesus' mother, and his stepbrothers or his half-brothers and half-sisters were there in Jerusalem and they were waiting like Jesus told them to. And while they were waiting and praying, the Holy Spirit descended on them. And on that day, the church was birthed. Thousands of people became followers of Jesus in that morning. So John says, I was there. I've seen Jesus. I saw him die. The scripture tells us that John was there as a witness to Jesus's death. He's, I saw Jesus die. I saw Jesus 
risen from the dead three days later. And then after he had ascended into heaven, the Holy Spirit came down and testified. And it wasn't just on the day of Pentecost. When the first non-Jewish people to become Christians came to faith, that was the Samaritans who were kind of like half Jewish, half not Jewish. Philip, who was one of the early leaders in the church, had to flee Jerusalem because of persecution. And so he fled north to the region of Samaria, and he began to preach the gospel, the good news of Jesus risen from the dead, and the Samaritans came to faith. And what was the biggest evidence that the church had that this was genuine? That they received the same Holy Spirit as those first Jewish Christians did. And then later, when the apostle Peter was called by God to go and share the good news of Jesus with a Gentile, with a Roman soldier, with somebody who was fully not Jewish. And before Peter could even finish his sermon, they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to proclaim the praises of God and they began to speak in languages that they didn't know. And these miraculous evidences, testimonies of God's work were evidenced. And so Peter said, how can we say that they're not believers? How can we say that they are not in Christ? Because obviously, God's Holy Spirit has worked in them like he worked in us, like he worked in the Samaritans. God testifies to people. He says, look at Jesus. Look at the witnesses to his resurrection. And look at the testimony of the Holy Spirit. And I believe that all three of those things still testify to us today. The questions of our faith are not about secondary issues. The questions of our faith are not about how did God create the world. I believe God created this world and this universe and everything in it. But there's debate about how that happened. A few weeks ago, you can go back and look, I, I preached a, a message talking about Noah and the flood. And after church last Sunday, somebody came up to me and had a question about uh, that sermon. And I said, hey, you know, here's my best understanding. Uh, here's what I think. Here's what some other smart people think. But our faith is not about the flood. Our faith is not about the dinosaurs. Our faith is not about these other things that are important, are worthy of discussion and consideration. But our faith is about Jesus Christ. And if Jesus really did die and rise from the dead, if the Holy Spirit really has descended on the lives of people who believe in Jesus, then that is the question. And if you are not part of the people of God, but you're saying, I don't know, I've been thinking about this Jesus thing, then this is the question to ask. Do you believe that Jesus really lived? What do you think about the testimony of eyewitnesses who saw Jesus executed? And then Jesus walking around alive again. And the testimony of the Holy Spirit speaking to you. What do you do with those things? I also believe that these three things are a way that Christians testify to the world around us. I've just spoken to non-believers. But for us as believers, these are ways that we can testify the water, the blood, and the spirit. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, you can go look it up. Jesus instructed the apostles. He said, I want you to go into all the world 
And I want you to teach people everything that I've taught you. And I want you to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Through baptism, baptism does not save us. If you're baptized, that does not mean that you're going to heaven. It's an outward symbol. But through that outward symbol, we can proclaim to the world. We can proclaim to the world our belief in Jesus, the Son of God, Savior, risen from the dead. And there's different ways at different times that people have used baptism for public proclamation. In the earliest days of the church, they would go to the most public place they could where there was water. In Jerusalem, it was in the temple courts because there were these pools for washing and that is where they could baptize people. When they had to flee Jerusalem, they would go to the rivers and the streams that were always nearby a settlement. A settlement would always be built by a river or a stream and they would go there and be baptized where everyone could see because everyone had to go there to get their water. Everyone had to go there to wash their clothes. Everyone had to go there and see, and their towns and their villages and their houses would have been built nearby those sources of water. That's why if you look at America, almost every major city is built on or near a river or lake because you need that source of water. And so they would go to these rivers or lakes and they would there baptize people to publicly proclaim their new life in Jesus Christ. In the Reformation times, I was reading about this recently, in places like the city of Geneva, Christians would go to the fountains. There would be these uh, places where you could get water, you know, the, the well, and they would, they would have these fountains where you could draw water from. And they would hop in the fountains, and there they would be baptized so everybody possible, the most amount of eyeballs, could see them. I think that's one of the great uses of social media, that we can be baptized. You know, when I was baptized, there was no social media. I was 14 years old. I was in California, and there was an opportunity to be baptized, and I said, I believe in Jesus. I want to be obedient to his commands, and I want to proclaim publicly my faith in him. So somebody took a picture, and that picture still exists, and it exists with the picture of literally the worst haircut I've ever had. And my youth pastor from way back in the day, he still has that picture on his computer. He has like a file of awkward pictures of former youth group students. And every so often he'll post them just to, you know, mess with us. I'm so thankful that that, that picture still exists though, so that I can publicly proclaim through baptism. And, and so in a few weeks, and we haven't quite set the final date yet, but in a few weeks on a Sunday morning, we will have a public baptism. And so if you have not been baptized, or if you were only baptized as an infant or you know, a young child, and you say, as an adult, I have never publicly declared my faith in Jesus Christ, then there is an invitation. We don't have rules about you have to be a member, you have to take a class. We do value relationship. And so if you have, don't have relationship with us, but you want to be baptized, then reach out, send us a message, an email, let us know. We'd love to get to know you. And if you say, you know, I've been a Christian a long time and I'm kind of embarrassed that I've never been baptized. I'll tell you, that's, that's not a reason. In fact, if anything, it's a great testimony that even those of us who have been a Christian a while still have ways that we can grow. And it's a way to show younger Christians that, you know, hey, just because you haven't done something yet doesn't mean there's not time to do it. Christians can testify through the blood. 1 Corinthians 11 is the key teaching in the Bible about communion. Paul, it's the, it's the verse I quote most often when we do communion. Paul says, you know, I received from the Lord 
all of the details about the night he was betrayed. I, I received from the Lord what happened, that he took the bread and he passed it around and he said, this is my body broken for you. And then later on in the meal, he took a cup of wine and he passed it around and he said, drink, this is my blood that is shed for the forgiveness of sins. And then in verse 26 of 1 Corinthians 11, the Apostle Paul says that when Christians take this bread in this cup that we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The idea was that there was a public proclamation that we believe Jesus Christ is the sacrifice for sins. We believe that Jesus Christ physically died. And even in John's days, he's writing 1 John, there were starting to be people that questioned whether Jesus physically died. They were saying things like, well, he was very badly hurt, but then he came off the cross and he recovered, or he was just faking, or, or different things like that, or he was so close to death when they put him in the tomb, and then God healed him. No, we proclaim that Jesus Christ physically lived and physically died and rose from the dead three days later. So when we take communion, we don't just identify ourselves with God between ourselves and God or between the church and God, but we publicly profess our belief in Jesus' sacrificial death that made right the sins of all who would believe. Personally, I'm starting to think that we should take communion more. More profession, more testimony. Finally, the Holy Spirit. Living lives that are baptized and filled by the Spirit of God. The work of God the Holy Spirit is normative for Christians. It should be the norm. It should be something, the regular thing that happens. God's Holy Spirit working in our lives. I've been talking about this a lot lately because the Apostle John talks about it a lot in this book, being filled with the Holy Spirit. And one of the things that we have said is, being filled with the Holy Spirit is this thing that seems odd if you haven't experienced it, or maybe you grew up in a church setting that made a big deal about the Holy Spirit, but it was weird or awkward or uncomfortable, and so there's all this baggage with it. Like we said last week, being filled with the Holy Spirit just means that God is working in our lives. And if God only has good things for his people, then I don't and you don't need to fear whatever the work of God the Holy Spirit might be. Now, I grew up in a church that believed in the work of God the Holy Spirit. And yet, for whatever reason, it was not taught often. On paper, we believed that God the Holy Spirit was equally God with God the Father and God the Son. We believed that God the Holy Spirit was working in the lives of people, but we didn't talk about it. And so I had a misunderstanding in my high school years. And I believed that much of the work of God the Holy Spirit talked about in the Bible was something of the past and it wasn't for today. And in my later teen years, my 18, 19 year old, I started to realize that that's not the case. That the Bible never says that God's work is ending, that God the Holy Spirit is still working in the lives of people today. And so I began to seriously read the Bible and see what it says. Let me give you a few verses that you can go back and you can read yourself. I'm going to give you a few verses here. Acts chapter 2, specifically verse 22, but the whole chapter is great. Acts chapter 2, verse 22. Acts chapter 14, verse 3. 
And the reason I'm quoting 14 verse 3 is to show that it's normative. It wasn't just the day of Pentecost. It wasn't just the first Christians, but that it was something expected throughout the whole church. The Gospel of John chapter 13 verse 35 talks about people being filled with the Holy Spirit. The word baptized just means to be fully immersed. And you and I, all people, need that full immersion in the work of God's Spirit in our lives. Just as I am fully immersed in water when I'm baptized, I want to be fully immersed in the work of God. Now, I recognize that I just said something controversial, and maybe your experience is that baptism, you know, you were sprinkled or some water was poured over your head. I don't think that there's a one way to baptize. Um, I believe, you know, personally, I have sprinkled water over people who were in hospital beds and they could not be fully immersed. But the word baptism, baptizo, in that we get our word baptism from speaks of being fully immersed in water. And so just as I was fully immersed in water when I was physically baptized, I want to be fully immersed. I want all that God has for me. I know people who are incredibly used of God, and the, the, the filling, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is evident on their lives. And yet they have never spoken a word of prophecy. They have never spoken in another language that they don't know, which is commonly called the gift of tongues. They've never cast out a demon or seen somebody healed. And yet you see the work of God and the fullness of the Spirit in their lives, in their great faith, in their great generosity, in their great love. I also know people who have been used by God to speak prophetically and they have no idea. They wouldn't consider themselves a prophet. And yet, as I've looked at their lives and what God has done, I can see this work. When we are baptized, when we come together as Christians in unity and take communion, and when we live lives filled with the Holy Spirit of God, we can testify to the world. We don't have to convince anybody. We don't have to make anyone believe. But are, these are three public and powerful ways that as Christians, we can say to the world around us, we are Jesus people. And we believe that Jesus has changed our lives. And we believe that Jesus can change yours. Finally, and this is not in the text, but I think it's an application that we can take. And here's what I mean by that. When we read the Bible, we, I like the idea of observation, interpretation, and application. When I read the Bible, I observe. For example, you know, we read, There is one who comes by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by blood and water. Okay, so I'm observing. Okay, John says that Jesus came through water and blood, and we know that it's Jesus being talked about because John said it was. Okay, so those are my observations. And then I look for interpretation. Sometimes interpretation is obvious. John chapter 5, verse 1, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Okay, the obvious interpretation is that if you believe Jesus is the Christ, then you are a Christian. On verse 6, the interpretation might not be as clear, and so then you can uh, look to scholars and commentaries and things, and you find out, oh, by water is a, a way that they would have expressed physical birth. And by blood is speaking about his new life. You can also not, you don't need commentaries or scholars. You could go to other parts of the Bible. In fact, I believe the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. 
And if you look at John chapter 3, Jesus talks about this. John chapter 3, when he talks to Nicodemus and, and talks about being born again, gives us commentary so that we would understand, interpret this well. Application is the thing everybody wants to jump to. Application is, is the thing people read and they say, okay, how does this apply to me? But the problem is that then I can get a self-centered, a self-focused view of reading the Bible and I'll get off track. And I, I might misunderstand something or mis misapply something. So what I want to do is I want to observe what's being said, just what's being said. Because sometimes people find an application and then when you read the actual words of the Bible that they're trying to apply, it's not what it's actually saying. So what's actually said? And then I want to interpret. What was the intention of this? What was it that the original author was saying to the original audience? And then I look for application. How does this apply to me? How does this apply to people in general? And I believe that there are applications that we can take. We know that God testifies to people in three ways, through the water, through the blood, and through the spirit. Of course, he testifies through other means, but these are the three that John cites. And we know that Christians can testify to the world around us through these same three means, the water, the blood, and the spirit. And in the same way, applicationally, I believe that Christians can receive testimony through three different sources. And why is three important? Well, in the Hebrew law, you might remember this from Jesus's trial. You couldn't be convicted on the testimony of one person. There had to be multiple witnesses. Multiple witnesses had to agree that they had seen the thing happen. The reason is that that God said, I don't want there to be any sort of kangaroo courts. I don't want there to be any sort of lynchings. I don't want there to be somebody who just, I just need to find somebody, I'll pay them off and they'll testify against my enemy. The idea of multiple witnesses so that we could have a sure knowledge. And I believe that God testifies to his people. And I believe there are three ways. I believe that we have the testimony of God himself. Now, whether that's through the Bible whether that's through the work of his Holy Spirit, whether that is through prayer or worship. We don't, there are a lot of different ways that God has spoken to people over the years and through the centuries. But let's say that you want to know, God, what's your plan for my life? Or God, I don't know what I should do here. What's, what's the thing that I should do in this moment or in this season? God, is this something that is, is true in my life that I should change? Or is this something that's true in my life that I should keep? I believe God speaks to us through his word, through prayer, through the Holy Spirit, through worship. I also believe that God can speak to us kind of through our own testimony. This is a little bit vague, so walk with me on this one. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, it says that if somebody desires the office of a bishop, they desire a good work. In 1 Samuel chapter 14, there's this guy, Jonathan, and Jonathan is the son of the king of Israel. And Jonathan and his, uh, his assistant, his armor bearer, were spying out their enemies because Israel had been invaded. And so Jonathan and his assistant, his armor bearer, go sneak to spy out the camp of their enemies. And it's early in the morning and Jonathan gets this idea and he says to his, his armor bearer, hey, you know what? If God wanted to, we're the people of God. If God wanted to, 
He's so much more powerful than our enemies. He could just use us to defeat them. And so Jonathan sort of puts his name forward and says, hey God, if you want to use me right now in this moment, I'll be used of you. And so he goes forward and, and, and he said, hey God, if, if you want me to go and, and take on the enemies just with me and my armor bearer, uh, you know, if they, if they hurl insults at us, I'll know that we're not supposed to and I'll leave. But if they invite us to come up, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go get them. And you can find this in 1 Samuel 14. And they invite, hey, hey, what are you doing? Your spies, okay, come on up here and we'll show you, we'll show you what, you know, we mean business. And so Jonathan went up and just started, you know, wasting these guys. And it's early in the morning and there's confusion in the camp and, and the rumor gets around that it wasn't just two people, but it was the whole Israelite sneak attacking in the morning. And, and in confusion, the Philistines fled. So here's Jonathan who just said, hey God, if you want to use me, I'm putting my name forward. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, David, who became the king instead of Jonathan, Jonathan died without becoming the king, and the, the kingship was passed to another family, King David. And David wanted to build a temple for God. And he inquired of the prophets of the Lord, and the word came back, David, you are not to build the temple. But there was nothing wrong with David wanting to do something for God. David put his name forward, and God so his testimony was, God, I'd like to do this thing. And the response was, no, it's not you. So God speaks to us through his word, through prayer, through all of these different means. You can look Romans 18, verse 14 and 16. 2 Timothy 3, verse 16, to see how God speaks to us. So we have the testimony of God. We have the testimony of ourselves. You know, hey, I think I, I feel like this might be something I'm supposed to do. And then there's the testimony of the church. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 14. Paul talks about how Timothy had his calling confirmed through the church affirming it. The, the church laid hands on Timothy and prayed over him. And as they were praying, there was prophecy and the church affirmed the work that God was already doing. You know, and Paul talked about how God's work was evident in the life of Timothy and how Timothy then put his name kind of forward. Hey, I think God might be working in, in my life. And the church affirmed it. So just as God testifies to, to people through the water, the blood, and the spirit, and Christians can testify to the world around us through the water of baptism, through the blood in communion, not literal, but you know what I mean, and living lives filled with the spirit. In the same way, I believe that we can have three witnesses speaking to our lives. Hey, I believe that God speaks to us. And, and it could be that God is not speaking to you so you feel, not because he doesn't want to, but because you're not listening. If you're not reading the Bible, if you're not praying, if you're not actively worshiping, if you're not actively engaging in the disciplines of our faith, then don't be surprised if you're not hearing God's voice. It's also possible that you're not hearing God's voice fully. I don't have anything against devotionals. I, I, I read some devotional books and some prayer books and different things, but it's not the whole word of God. And so if all I ever do is I just read little things out of the Psalms or I read one verse each day from the, our daily bread, and I don't have anything against those things. I'm not trying to knock anybody, but I'm saying it's like, like our daily bread is like a protein bar. You're out you know, you don't, it's, it's in between breakfast and lunch and you're just hungry, you grab a protein bar, you're tied it over until you can get lunch. That's what those devotionals are. You know, I, 
I, I read through uh, prayer books. I was reading through uh, St. Augustine's prayer book this, the other day, so blessed as I was reading and praying through that. But if I neglect the word of God, then I'll only hear a limited section of God's voice. If I only read the Bible, but I don't pray, then I'll only hear a limited section of God's voice. If I love to pray and I love to read the Bible, but I don't engage in worship through, it can be prayer, it can be reading your Bible, but also through song and through physical strength and, and different ways of worshiping God. I believe that it'll limit the voice of God. Then there's the testimony of myself and then there's the testimony of others. You know, we're, we're, I'm trying to make some decisions about some things and uh, coming into the fall. So what did I do? I emailed the, the pastor parish, which is the team of people that sort of uh, work with me uh, as the pastor, you know, and they speak on behalf of the congregation to me. And then when we make a decision together, we speak together to the congregation. And I emailed them. I said, hey, I'm thinking about doing this. What do you think? Because I want to hear the testimony of others. If, if, if they are affirming it, I kind of go, okay, I think I'm hearing this. I feel it in my own self. I think I might be hearing this from God, but I want to confirm it. So I want to hear from them. And then at the same time, like, let's say they came to me and said, hey, we think this is an issue. And so I would say, okay, what, what am I, how am I responding to this? And then I want to go before God and say, I'm hearing this from the church and I'm feeling this in my own spirit, but God, I want to hear from you to confirm. Do you see out of a multiple testimonies, I can hear from the Lord. And you can say, hey, do I take this job? Do I not take this job? Do I move here? Do I move there? Do I start this ministry or do I stay where I'm called? Should I do this? Should I do that? Is this a thing that's good in my life or a thing that's bad in my life? And as we use these three testimonies, I believe that God speaks to us and we can hear clearly and have confidence. And maybe one of the reasons that people in our day feel disconnected is that they are limiting themselves. They're limiting how they hear from God. Or they're not connected to a church family in a tangible way, and so they are limiting how they hear from others. Or they themselves need to grow in faith. So put, my, put their hand up and say, here am I, Lord, send me. I believe that God is speaking to people today as he has always spoken to people. I believe God is speaking to you. I believe that God is speaking to the world around us, and I believe that God is speaking in and through the lives of his church, the people of God. And so don't be afraid to let God speak to you. Don't be afraid to let God speak through you. You never know how God will use you. You never know the person that you might say a word to, the person you might pray for, and God uses that to confirm or convict so that they can go forward and grow in the knowledge and the grace of God. So as God speaks to us, we need to respond to him. So I want to invite you to stay for a time of prayer as we respond to what God has been speaking. And if you are not a Christian, I want to invite you to place your faith in Jesus Christ. As I read earlier from the Bible, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And that invitation is to you. And for all who are Christians, I invite us to respond because we know that our God speaks to us. We know that our God hears our prayers and we know that our God is working. Let's pray together. Well, as we have heard God speaking to us 
I, I believe just reading God's word, God speaks to us. The Holy Spirit of God moves in our hearts. And so as God's been speaking to us, it's our opportunity to speak back. And I want to invite you to enter this time of prayer in a posture of prayer, whatever that looks like for you, whether it's sitting, standing, eyes open, eyes closed, hands folded, hands raised, hands at your side, whatever it is, we would invite you to take this time and pray with us. Our Father, you truly are holy, perfect, without fault. I've never found anything to fault you with, Lord. And the times where I have felt against you, I've discovered it's my own lack of understanding, my own imperfect perspective. So, Holy Father, we come to you and confess. We confess the sins of our people. And right now, I'd invite you, whatever has been burdening you for our nation, our state, our community, whatever has grieved your heart, to bring that before the Lord. To bring the, the things that have troubled you in the news, the things that have troubled you in conversation before God. And confess. Father, I confess that our people are angry. Our people seem to want to be opposed to each other. We want to find enemies where we should find friends and neighbors. Father, forgive us for that. Your word says that if we have hate in our hearts, the same as having murder. Forgive us of our murder. Heal us from that, Lord. And now we want to confess individually. And however, whatever's been burdening your heart, I, I found that when somebody says it's time to confess individually, we already know what it is, and I don't need to kind of guide anyone that way. But Lord, we do know that we all need you deeply. All of us have fallen short. Lord, I know for myself this week there have been times where I haven't had the love that you would have for me. I haven't had the, the peace and the patience and the long-suffering that are part of the fruits of your Spirit working in the lives of believers. Lord, I confess that even yesterday I was reminded of a person who had wronged me years ago and I still found resentment towards them. I hadn't thought about him in 10 years and I still thought, oh, that person, and I found resentment in my heart, and I pray that you would cleanse me of that. Lord, thank you that you are faithful to forgive our sins. And when we confess our sins, you do a cleansing work. And as we confess, Lord, we want to acknowledge, we want to acknowledge the greatness of who you are. Lord, we acknowledge that you should have wiped us all out and you didn't. We acknowledge that you, who did no wrong, took all of our wrongs on yourself. And Lord, we acknowledge that though we don't deserve it, your Holy Spirit is working and comforting. And Lord, we ask that you would fill us fresh with your Holy Spirit, the power of God working in the lives of believers, 
Lord, we pray that you would convince us new that you have saved us from all sin. Show us the depths from which we have been set free. And Father, we approach you because of your Son, Jesus. Help us to be aware of the free access we have to come before you and to stay and dwell in your presence. And Lord, finally, we have needs. We have concerns. Many need healing. And if you need healing physically, I invite you to ask God. Raise your hand, raise your voice, and ask God, Lord, heal me. Lord, we know that there are many who need healing emotionally, mentally. We pray for that healing work to be done. There are many who need provision. And Lord, we pray that you would provide all of our needs. Give us this day our daily bread, we ask. Lord, we know that there are many who need grace and forgiveness. And any who need forgiveness from you, as they cry out, help them to know that you hear their prayers. Lord, thank you for this time where we can stop and pause and center ourselves to confess, to acknowledge, and to ask. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. If you've seen God answer prayers in your life, we'd love to hear about it. If you need more people on your team praying with you and praying for you, let us know. God hears our prayers. God is working in our prayers even when we don't see it. And we'll see you next week for another time together in God's word, time together praying online. God bless you. God loves you. Jesus hears you.